Hey everybody, this is Kim Blackwell and Louis Extravaganza and this is Work, Work, the podcast. Voices for the voices that go unheard. Work the Podcast is sponsored in part by Oscars, a restaurant and event venue in downtown Palm Springs. Oscars plays host to a variety of events throughout the week, including live blues music on Monday evenings, a female celebrity impersonator show called Oscars Cabaret on Friday and Saturday nights, a fabulous drag brunch called The Bitchiest Brunch on Sunday mornings, and a world-famous tea dance on Sunday nights from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. For a complete list of their events and dinner menus, please visit OscarsPalmSprings.com. Welcome to another episode of work. How are you doing today, Kim? I'm feeling just fabulous. You're feeling fabulous. I'm You're looking fabulous. Oh, you better All talk to me about theme. how fabulous I am. I live. Uh, <laughs> so today we have the fabulous Jeffrey Drew. Jeffrey was born in San Fernando Valley and... His 1814. Fam- 1814. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, I did. I, I wanted you to say it. I didn't oh, want so. to say it. <laughs> but, but his family moved him to Orange County after the earthquake of 71, which is ages ago. Ages, ages, ages. Yeah. And you yeah. grew up with the Orange Grove in your backyard. Now, his journey takes him to Hollywood, where he ran the streets in wild abandon. And that led him to the Venice Recovery House and eventually... His calling. Jeffrey is a dancer, singer, actor, director, and we talk to him today about his life in the arts, his ever-changing family dynamic, his fabulous alter ego, Lot of Slots, and his current role as associate casting director. It's a life against all odds. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> now, as I was talking to you, uh, Earlier, before you know, you came into our quote-unquote studio today. Um, that little ditty of a sentence, "A life against all odds," really stood out to me, and I wanted to kind of just delve into that a little bit because you had a really peculiar. Well, I don't <laughs> want to say peculiar, but you know, you had a really uh, challenging childhood. You're a twin, aren't you? I am. I am. And so. From what you were telling me in our conversations, your father, you know, chose one twin and not the other twin. Uh, my dad was a he was a drunk. But uh, besides for that, lack of a better term, right? you know, and then my brother was his buddy. I mean, they just were thick as thieves. And I watched him, you know, my dad get him a car and go to his football practices and uh, show up for his track meets and all this stuff he showed up for for my twin. But when it came for me, I was just kind of non-existent. So and and now in, you know, because yeah, I did a lot like, of like, oh, I already have one. Right. He is like, yeah, this is extra. He is just, Sorry, we gotta get one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are you guys identical or fratern- fraternal? We twins? are identical, wow. except that Jamie weighs, uh, I think, about 70, 80 pounds heavier than I do. I'm so, fascinated yeah. with twins. So, yes. It's like triplets. So, Jamie is a yes. twin. <laughs> yeah. And my dad just adored my brother. I adored him. And so, when my uh, parents divorced, you know, my dad took my twin uh, and I just kind of got lost in the shuffle. That's crazy. And so, how, how old were you? you guys when 16 okay so you yeah. were still young were yeah. you guys close were you close with your 
your brother? Uh, it was a little tumultuous because, you know, for my whole family, which I understand now, is just I was this Nelly, effeminate, cartwheeling, joyful kid <laughs> with right. a lisp. And, uh, you know, it, it, they couldn't. I mean, I was always singing around the house and just um, that brought me joy that yes. type of step dreaming about broadway or hollywood and uh and now i understand you know it must have been difficult for all of them you so know it did not bring them joy your well they were a little like uh what the don't yeah, embarrass like, the family don't embarrass the family and okay. so inevitably when i started drinking and using at 13 i that's what i did was in Bears the family and so and when my uh parents divorced my mom uh married the minister of our church where my father and her were going to counseling and she oh ran off with the minister <laughs> oh, man. and so they you know through all that i just kind of got lost in the shuffle and right. so and at the time i was thumbing up the five coming up to the odyssey and going dancing and turning tricks and you know a lot of car sex and making some coins and uh but wait, so, wait, wait. Was wait, hold on. Is that too much? This at is all 13? Right? At, at 13? 13, 14, 15, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this is all in Irvine. Irvine. Yes. We live between two marine bases and in between all these miles of orange groves. And Ooh, lucky you. Being yeah. a, you know, a very precocious kid, uh, I was having a lot of car sex then too. There was <laughs> like a lot of Marines. You know what it. I mean? The Marines were, you know, it didn't matter. It was yeah. just that I was young and available. It wasn't that I was attractive or anything. It was just I was available out up there in the streets. And uh, and when you start drinking and using, you know, shenanigans happen. Right. So, yeah. And you don't have the supervision. Your parents are, you know, no, they were doing uh, their own thing. My dad brother. was taking my brother. My mom was having. He has her new, you know, new husband. Yes. She did introduce me to my type of people in her church, some really nice men, uh, couples. And so I just kind of got passed around during my early years and through Wait. high school. So uh, passed around like in what? the church in the well, they all went to the church. And so um, it was just about sex and cocaine. And, you know, I was available and young. And so, you know, they get bored or I'm a mess. And so they passed me on to another couple that would like you know, someone energetic. <laughs> Good Lord. And this was Good all Lord. during know, my no, high school years. Yes. Yeah. And nobody knew the, they were couples yeah. in the church. Like these, no, oh, those, no, those, that's like, just his friend. That's yeah. his friend, Dave. <laughs> yeah. You and know. I would come home on a Monday with, you know, hickeys on my neck or, you know, having gone missing and, you know, oh all God. weekend and, or being flown to like Palm Springs and having these weeks with these people that I would meet through my mom and stepfather's church. And so, Right. Okay, wait a minute. Wait. What? <laughs> What's wait the matter? Wait, what's the problem? <laughs> what's the problem here? The problem is you're being introduced by your mom and your stepdad to these gentlemen. Gentlemen, yeah. yes. In that's, your church. Who were nice, very that's kind nice to Uncle me. Steve and, yeah. and, and Uncle and Uncle yeah. Randy. Yeah. And Uncle Steve and Randy are flying you to Palm Springs to spend a week over there. Was this traumatic for you? No, no I had a great time. Oh, a okay. lot of kids. I was having a great time. <laughs> and it's that thing it's like you know being visible and being seen and you know it was a therapist in my 30s that said this is not normal do you understand this is not normal and i'm like i had a great time i had fabulous. a great time you know so oh my you god know, i had to do a lot of work around it because yes. as an adult finding my value was just about my ass and so it took me a long time to undo all that information i made up for myself to survive what I went through, yes. you know, because some of it was pretty um, challenging. 
Oh, you you're, a, you're a child. <sighs> Pretty much so. Yeah, but you're you a know? kid. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. in your formative years, that's you're associating like being loved and cared about and right. seen through sex. Sex. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And well, your brother was. Beast. I mean, some of them were, oh my God, beast, <laughs> but very generous. You know, you just wanted to, you know, chew your arm off, get out from under him. You're like, oh. yeah. And your brother's straight. Yeah, my brother's straight. Okay. Yeah. And where's the rest of them during this time? Like, I mean, you're well, my, twins. My older brother, uh, I have an older brother. He left home at 15. I have an older sister. She was in Orange County also. My other sister was kind of in and out of our household. Wait, so how many of you? Uh, there's what? five of us oh, all together. Five. Yeah. So, and, you know, uh, we all partied. So we had this connection at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then the rest of the year, not so much. Okay. It was this weird thing. Right. So, yeah. None of those shenanigans felt like trauma to you. It just felt like a good time. Like none of it felt weird to you or did it feel weird at some point? Um, it was the fantasy of being uh, desired. <laughs> and so, and I felt visible, which I, you know, in striving to just be acknowledged in the world and be, you know, I was this short effeminate little kid you know and going through junior high high school and being tormented and beat up and all this stuff it was just like very uh it just seemed like oh this is what i deserve so and that's the thing about trauma you don't yeah. feel it doesn't feel like trauma in the moment it's like whatever you're using to self-soothe whether it's right. Well, it was a lot of self-medicating. Yeah. Totally. Self-medicating. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. You know, having, uh, being addicted to uh, vanilla extract when you're eight years old, you know, put a little or in your orange juice to get off to second grade just to take the edge off. Yeah. You know, it's like, I did what I did, you know. And because my fantasy is so much what helped me survive what I went through to, you know, it's like all those things. Exactly. So, yeah. Why am I trying to... Imagine what vanilla extract and orange juice would taste like. Because that's like, <laughs> do you remember like, like orange Julius's? That sounds kind of yummy, right? Like yeah, a creamsicle. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Moving so, on. <laughs> orange Julius. Yes. Yeah. And it started, you know, I was drinking it like um, when I was a kid, I was in this boys choir, the All-American Boys Choir, which was in Orange County, which got shut down because the priest was um, who was in charge of it was a little. Anyway, so that's another story. But um, <laughs> even being on the road with them, because we traveled all over Canada in a bus and in the United States and stuff, it was show business. And so as a young kid, I was like, oh, I love this. Right. This is, you know, I didn't like really necessarily like being in a choir because it's too groupy yes. and not individual. But so, just um, the, the razzle dazzle. But, uh, you know, those carnies in the state fairs and stuff and doing my first, you know, white crosses were really big with the carnies. I love the carnies. They're so trashy. What are white they're, crosses? Yeah. What oh are my white god, crosses? they're speed. They're oh. fantastic. There were these little <laughs> white pills. There was yellow jackets, right white now. crosses, and black beauties. Oh yeah. And so they were. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so the leader was a priest, and he was. Uh, and there's a a, there was another well? situation where some I was the favorite for uh, a, just a couple months, and so I get to share like a sleeping bag with them. Though we never had sex, uh, some of the other kids had had sex and then i was resentful because i was like <laughs> well, what was then, the ma yes. matter with me but that's a whole other story yeah so <sighs> how do you get it you talked about the car sex you, it's car sex and you were turning you started turning tricks yeah at 13 yeah 14? 13 14 it's all turning tricks at that age you know because it's usually <laughs> transactional right with either gifts or people's kindness or alcohol and drugs or yeah because they know, know they're so yeah yeah because they're basically 
you know, yeah. pedophiles. Bed- basically. Yes. Pred- yeah. Predators. Predators. They're like, here, let's yeah. give you some yeah. candy, little boy. Right. And yeah. just to, you know, keep me quiet. So Right. So your parents didn't know any of this while you were growing up? Were no. they present? My dad, dad no. He didn't drunk. know any of this. My, my mom just was kind of aware. As long as I was showing up for school... And uh, doing what I had to do. So, but then she was off with her husband, her new husband. And so it just was what it was, which was fine because then nobody could really pay attention to me and I could do what I wanted. So, what do you leave home? Uh, 17. I was here in Hollywood. I uh, was living up on Mount Olympus with this guy uh, that I had met <laughs> no. through these people in the church. Right. Uh, they, uh, you know, it was this like. This whole church scene was swinging. It was, well, it yeah. was swinging. No, this was. Are you yeah. serious right now? <laughs> yeah, because it was like Hollywood, Long Beach, Orange County. Laguna back to Long Beach and then I met this guy and I was staying up with him at Mount Olympus there was a kind of a couple of us that were hanging out uh at the house and I met all these people and you know jacuzzing and (laughs) yeah not jacuzzing yes it was like a harem yes it was you know and then I would get drunk and I would disappear because that's what I do and because that's what your dad did pretty much so you know I would get one going and I never knew when it would end or where I would end up. But Santa Monica Boulevard at the time was just like where everybody, there was a community that happened. They might not like you, but they'll make sure that you have something to eat and you have shoes. This is a time when they pushed all the trade off of like Selma, took them down to Santa Monica, and you could just walk. You had to keep walking because there was a, a, a law that you had to keep walking in a two-hour period. Otherwise, they could arrest you. So you did the whole Santa Monica Boulevard, then you would cut up Lexington and head west, <laughs> then start the whole thing over again. Yeah, so for those that don't know, Santa Monica Boulevard, well-known place. Where the cruise happened. Where the cruising yeah. happens, didn't where gay hustlers. That, yeah, didn't they call that like the Fruit Loop? The Fruit Loop, yeah. Santa Did you Monica say that already? And Lexington, yeah. <laughs> and I was towards kind of the east, the furthest east, like just past Gower in front of the um, Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Yes, So exactly. that was kind of that, my area because it was really scuzzy. And they were grateful. <laughs> they were grateful. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness <laughs> gracious. That's literally Bitch around you the- on my turf and <laughs> yeah. on my block. Yeah. 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 Let me get down yeah. to the scuzzy. <laughs> the scuzzy. Yeah. yeah. So how long did this go on? You're 17. Are you going to, are you still in school at this point? No, 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 no. 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 No, um, I started, uh, let's see, 18, I started trying to get sober. Okay. I got a whole year of sobriety uh, at 18, which I didn't realize was a miracle and a gift. And what had you been, was it drugs and alcohol? Uh, alcohol? Drinking and crystal meth. Okay. So, and because it was the 80s, you know, the it was all about cocaine during the 80s. Right. So those, they just kind of looked down at me like I was just white trash <laughs> because I did crank or, or meth. So I got sober. I got sober because everything had fallen apart. And um, I was going to meetings for a year and then got a year of sobriety and then decided to treat my alcoholism with crystal meth again. And so this is <laughs> like, that was the answer. I had done all the steps. I had done, you know, everything they told me to do. Very visible in West Hollywood. And, um, and there wasn't a lot of young people. Then I, I got loaded, and then it would be five years of being in and out of the program. But I kept going back to meetings. 
But in those five years where you're going in and out, are you still fruit looping? Yep. So you're still. Yes. And those, those hags in the, from the meeting, you know, they were so, you know, they'd see me on the street and they'd pull over. Oh, do you need a ride, Jeffrey? I'm like, Beat Get it. out of here. Beat it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I am I working here. I do need here. a ride, yeah. but not for me. Yeah. Beat it. Yeah. Beat it. Yeah. Try to make my yeah. coins. Yeah. And that's all you would do. You weren't working. I mean, you were working. No, I just... would try to get little jobs here okay. and there. There was a croissant place here. There was a, a flower shop there. You know, it's like, yeah. Now, but during this time, the you do. know, yeah, doing the do, there was a moment where you, before you started, you know, quote unquote, hanging out on Santa Monica, where you were dreaming about Broadway. You went to choir, you right. know, and all that good stuff. Did that dream stay with you throughout that whole time? The whole time. It was that thing. It's like I would be high or drunk on the street and I was always singing show tunes. I was, you know, especially if I had start going into a blackout, it was kind of like this survival mechanism. Mm. So I'd have my little Walkman with little cassette tapes and I would, you know, listen to these show tunes. It brought me, you know, even as a kid, younger at home, you know, where my brother would be listening to Toto and Styx and Journey, you know, I was just coveting my, you know, yeah. Judy Garland at You're Carnegie like, Hall cast album and Evita, the original soundtrack, <laughs> yeah. you know, all these things that I would, you know, those were what I was listening to. Right. Yeah. We just recently spoke to uh, Greg Butler uh-huh. and he, you know, he coined that kind of like escaping into fantasy, his first addiction. Right. Do you think that was, is true for you as well? Very much so. And especially when I was out running around by myself, that it was just, I would just kind of split off like there was cameras on me. And even when you're walking past the studios here in Hollywood and stuff, it was the fantasy of like, how do I get over the wall? How do I go do that? But it was just like, I'm going to pretend that I'm being filmed right now because that's the only way I can bear going through this life. Right. You know, I'm it's hungry, like, it's I'm so cold. so far, but so close. Yeah. Like, you're literally on the other side of the wall. Uh, yeah, it's right there. But yeah. the journey to get there is yeah. so far, at this point, so far for you. Uh, uh, unimaginable. <laughs> and unimaginable that when you're stuck in the life, that there's anything else. That's It's just you're stuck. And then you're turning tricks and getting high to stay high. And it's just that whole pattern. Yeah, that cycle. Continue. And a lot, of, yeah. that a lot of people don't get out of. Right. Yeah. So how did you get out of it? So my last year drinking thing was uh, getting high, being up for five or six days. And then when you're up on meth for that, your body just shuts down. So you just lay down. So I was coming to in back alleys and parks, you know, then you sleep for a few days and you get up and run again and start the whole thing. And the last time um, I had been. uh, And where are you living at this point? Are you just crashing crashing on people's couches? Mostly my dealer who lived in the valley. So uh, he was always good. Like the last time I got arrested when he, I called him to come and bail me out. And so I'm, cause I was in a lot of trouble. I had borrowed a car. Uh, you you had borrowed guys. a car. Yeah. Well, it was, had been reported stolen. Uh, yes. And so they, uh, you're like, oh, semantics. They, they call it stealing. I call yeah. it borrowing. Right. Yes. Potato, potato. Yeah. Borrowing yeah. it. So I was in a lot of trouble and they ended up dropping the charges and I, uh, went back to meetings. That's all I knew what to do and right. so um and i started this journey now i just celebrated 31 years of being clean and sober oh congratulations so as a, thank you so it's that thing of you know and i didn't realize that i would have this length of time yeah ever uh or that 
that recovery would work for me. No, I thought when, when I was you, too. Oh my God, when you you're know. on the street crashing and going yeah. to jail, you just try to just one right. minute at a time. Right. Like, how could you see? 31 years yeah it was it was you know and this is you know the 80s and everybody's dying of aids yeah. and yes you know all those people i had been friends with and sobriety you you know because i was in and out i'd come back and they had passed and you're just oh, like god and having tested myself in 87 back then they just gave you a big bag of azt and said you're on your own yeah you, you got six months and so i'm a young person with hiv struggling with drug addiction and alcoholism i mean it was it was a mess did you just it, think that you were just gonna die yeah yeah i, I had no hope i had no uh, there was no examples other than people were just dying all yeah. the time and walking around with carposis all over themselves and yes. uh, pneumonia and um struggling and so and every they were just taking everybody was getting their treatment down at general hospital uh at USC Medical right. Center because they'd open up the wards because there was thousands and thousands of people just dying. So here I am, a young, you know, twenty-something, going, "Oh well, I guess I better, you know, hold on to some kind of dream. What am I going to do here?" So, yeah. so you get sober. Yes, that's I the went first through step. the Van Ness Recovery yeah, House. Ask if you that got me the... off the street. That's awesome. And uh, it was a ninety-day program at the time, and I was just so grateful to just, you know, I took my plastic bag with my my shit and uh but we should uh state really quickly that the van ness recovery house is uh more than a silver living yeah it's rehab it's and it's the oldest uh lgbt rehab ever created so harry hayes back and uh part of the whole uh lgbt center and they do remarkable work there because they take us uh, hard cases and who have a lot of old ideas and who have a lot of, of that hooker hustler mentality. Yeah. Uh, and they really work on getting you into understanding what your disease is about and how to uh, go through contrary actions so that you can have a sober life and stay sober. Right. So, and basically break you down to just build you back up again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kathy Watt at the Venice House, who was there when I was there, she believed in me so much. And her honesty and truth, though sometimes very harsh, harsh, <laughs> but truthful. I mean, you can't deny that truth. Yeah, right. this is what you so, needed. Right. Yeah. And so she, you know, took my wig off and she put it back on. And so, yeah, I was grateful. So you complete the program. But before yeah. you complete the program, you start dancing. Ralph, my sponsor had been studying to be a therapist. And I didn't know when I first met Ralph that he had been a leading man on Broadway in a handful of musicals, Pearly, uh, Brownstone, uh, uh, let's see, what was the one he, Doonesbury. Oh my God, he just, remarkable talent. And he just, he didn't care about all that. He just cared about my sobriety. So when I got out of the Van Ness house, he's like, well, what's the dream? You get to dream big here because I was just waiting to, truthfully to die. Yeah. So I started going to dance classes and he would come with me and wait in the car because I didn't know if I could do it without getting loaded. And then he started taking me to my, my first auditions for community theater. I was like, well, if I'm just going to die, I might as well do something I love doing. I'll just do community theater here uh, in Los Angeles and that'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, but the, the dream was too small and I didn't know that 
I didn't at all. And so, you know, Ralph had been, he's in books and, you know, on the same pages of Sondheim and Hal Prince and, you know, he had done all this work on Broadway. And so, but it was all about my sobriety first and dreaming big. And I was like, okay, so through the course of just showing up, because that's what they, you know, I started late. I had no idea what it was supposed to look like. So I just um, kept taking class and going on these auditions and sometimes booking uh, a little community theater show. Right. And then I met this uh, wonderful man, um, Jonathan Aronson, who had been on Broadway. He was in Sugar Babies and all the, uh, you know, a million shows. And Michael Stewart, who had been in the original production of A Chorus Sign. And they were doing uh, the Juvenile Diabetes Telethon. And they needed a gymnast that danced. And so I got the gig. And so we shot a, a video for a commercial all through Hollywood. And then we did an opening number at this thing. And in this uh, studio, they set up at the Sheraton. And it was so exciting. I mean, Peggy Lee and uh, Ella Fitzgerald are in the rooms next to us. And it was just like, it was show yeah, business. Exactly. I mean, it was show business. It didn't get any <laughs> right. better than this. So we did this show. And they were like, you know what, Jeffrey, you have talent. Just go to class and do these things. And I was like, okay, okay. So I just kept showing up. So there was a course of, the, of uh, situations that happened. Then all of a sudden, I'm doing Gypsy with Betty Buckley in Tucson, Arizona. And then uh, I'm doing all these shows, uh, Civic Light Operas. I get my equity card. Um, I was that boy that was, I was the short boy that sang loud and flipped. And so I was always booking <laughs> these jobs. And I was like, it was so great. I loved it. I loved musical theater. I loved the overture. I loved all of it. It made me really happy. And so um, then through a course of situations where I find myself do, going to New York to do a show uh, there and uh, working at the Richard Rogers Theater with this crazy lady named Sherry Lewis, uh, a show we had rehearsed here in Los Angeles and it ended up doing two months on Broadway. And um, I was like, oh, this is great too. Oh my God, how exciting. And then did you move yeah. to Los, uh, did you move to, sorry, not Los Angeles. Did you move to New York? Not at that time. Oh, okay. So when I came back from New York doing the show, uh, my boyfriend at the time, Michael, we were staying at the Royalton. So I just thought it was all kind of, this is how it went. Not knowing I was set up <laughs> really well. <laughs> I was, you know, and because of Michael. And so um, came back, uh, a friend of Michael's, my boyfriend at the time, uh, it was Larry Fuller. Larry Fuller had choreographed the original production of Sweeney Todd and Evita uh, and Merrily We Roll Along and um, On the 20th Century. And Just he a had few little the, shows. Yeah, he had been a chorus, boy, uh, a chorus dancer in the original production of West Side Story. So he would just tell me stories and I was just mesmerized. And I would go over to his house. Michael and I would have dinner. It'd be like Grover Dale and Larry Fuller and all these Judy Garland dancers and from the TV show and Carol Burnett show. And I was just like... Oh my God, this is so exciting. And so um, Larry was doing another production of, uh, of Evita, the 20th anniversary tour with uh, Hal Prince. So he said, come in and audition. I was like, oh, okay. You know, not thinking that I would get it. And why would they take someone from Los Angeles when they have all those people in, in New York? And, um, and I auditioned and I booked the job. And I was so excited. My boyfriend was pissed because I was going to go on the road for a year. And hopefully this production was going to go into New York. Right. That was the plan. So they did new arrangements that starred Raul Esparza. Uh, 
And it was just this exciting, exciting time. So I did this fundraiser called Battle for the Tiara at the Wiltern. Uh, but the, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Before you get into Battle okay. of, the, of the Tiara, because yeah. we definitely want to get into that. I just want to kind of solidify. Am I talking too much? No, no. you're not talking too much at okay. all. No. But I just want to solidify for people who are listening that you didn't get into all of this till you were like 20, 21 years old. 24, 25, 26. Look yeah. at that. Yeah. I mean, most people have this long road of dance classes and they know what they're doing from a very early age. Like, from, you know, just for me, I was dancing, you know, right out the box, you know, right, right out right, right. the womb. And so right. I was going to dance classes since early, went through all this training, blah, 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 blah. So I knew from a very, you know, early start that. I was going to be this dancer and was taking dance classes since early. You started very, very, very late. Yeah, except for a random dance class as a kid. Nothing, you know, just it it wasn't in my family. Nothing that wasn't intensive. Yeah, they weren't, it wasn't about support. They couldn't afford it. And they just, it was like, if I wanted to do it, I had to go off and do it. Wow. But they, I don't think they really, my parents really had any uh, faith that anything would ever happen. For me. I was <laughs> short. I wasn't very attractive. You know, it's like all that stuff that, you know, show business was about beautiful people with like undeniable talent. What instilled that I'm sure I'm unattractive idea in you when you were young? Because, I mean, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, no? And so yeah. do you think that was an outside vibration that set that upon you? Well, when you see uh, like uh, a brother or a twin brother uh, being adored and honored and, pe- and your family showing up for him, you're just trying to get the, you, you get this information. It, not, it might not be the truth, but it's your truth. It was my truth at times because I just never felt enough. So, I mean, why, you know, it, it's like I knew I was convicted with this lisp you know, I was Cindy Brady. That's what they, <laughs> that's what they used to call me. Right. I, I didn't know, but I had a, a fantasy and an imagination that even though I could get the shit kicked out of me and I was beaten up and made fun of, they couldn't take away that, that fantasy. And the universe had, <laughs> I mean, definitely had other plans for you. Yes. I mean that, you know, not that I was uh, unique in that miracle, but uh, my willingness coincided with just trying to stay alive and better myself that, you know, even with drug addiction, alcoholism, and then HIV AIDS on top of it. Oh my God, I'm doomed. See, that makes sense. All those people and their mean things. They said, I'm, I'm doomed. Okay. Well, what do I do in the meantime? Right. What brings me joy? What brings me happy? The clock is ticking for you. So I had to, I felt like I was playing catch up. I mean, with life, with everything, you know, I wasn't very uh, book smart, but I was street smart in a way that I knew how to just try to take care of myself and keep moving. So you're at the Royalton. You're having these (laughs) fabulous now. I mean, cut to the Royalton. Right. You know, and these skills have taken you all the way to this point. Right. What does that feel like for you? Well, it was, I was so excited. It was so, ex- it, well, it was two things. I, uh, I was disappointed. I was in a costume that nobody saw me. 
I nobody saw me in the costume that I ended up wearing in the show. What so, costume was that? I have to know. Hush Puppy. I was Hush Puppy. I was I was <laughs> Lamb Chop the beginning of the second act, but otherwise I was Hush Puppy. And so I was up there and uh, Sherry Lewis was married to a man that produced The Artist's Way. He was a, um, and his whole family, Mallory, uh, Sherry's daughter and stuff, they were all involved with uh, publishing or Lamb Chop Incorporated, that whole thing. And so, um, but I just, you know, I did the choreography. I did, you know, I had such a great time. I loved running to the Richard Rogers every day. I loved it. So I'm in the same dressing room and same theater that Bob Fosse had done all these shows. So right. all the spirits were there. Mm. And I would just lay on the, on the middle of the floor of the Richard Rogers Theater going, oh my God, so much magic. This is a temple. This is a temple. Of musical theater. Yeah. And yeah. starting out just saying, I just want to do community theater. Just like, just do something right. that brings me joy. But I think yeah. so much of that is why you were successful because it was really genuine. You know, it came right. from this place of like really wanting to. Yeah. It was like the first tour I did of Evita. I was having a, 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 just a, like an outstanding, I can't even describe how amazing it was. I mean, just to see these great, great musical theater performers, dancers and stuff. Uh, Hal Prince on our first rehearsal, I had just come in off of this big drag show the night before, taking the red eye. I'm still peeking out lash glue. And these New York queens were all like, who's this? You know, because everybody knows each uh, everybody in New York. And right. uh, so I was the L.A. boy. And so and uh, Mr. Prince came in, you know, he's like, you're not just dancers. You're not just actors. You're not just singers. You're everything here. So you are an actor first. So I need you to do that work. Who are you in these scenes? And it was like that permission to go, oh, right, right. We're not, the, the days of just the dancing chorus coming on and then dancing off was no longer. With something like Evita where it's an acting challenge, it was just like, oh my God, this is so, so every day was just so, every night was so exciting. Rehearsals, the gypsy run through, all these things I was like, Oh my God! Look at all this New York people. Now I know who they are. They don't know who I am. I'm I'm the new kid. You know, I'm the right. the new person from Los Angeles. So um, I, I had such a great time. Larry Fuller uh, at the beginning of the show in Evita. There's a big screen, and then they take these photographs of four people in a, a extreme emotional kind of situation and they're like okay jeffrey we're gonna do you and i went oh okay and so he's like i just want you to take the moment and uh your pictures and it'd be projected 40 feet wide you know 20 feet wide on the screen i was like okay so i put my head down i just came up so emotional see they thought it was grief that evita had died but i was so grateful just to be that i was just crying buckets and they took these pictures and all of a sudden there's my face on the screen for a year uh in Evita, and I was like, and I was like, yeah, I am an actor. I'm gonna, I get to be an actor here. I'm gonna give my myself permission to be an actor. I mean, look, I, I'm not a, a great dancer or singer or anything, but put it all together, I think I'm a, a really great performer. Yes, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm I'm an intuitive actor. Uh, so those things those things served me. When I finished the first tour of Evita, I got, uh, when they closed us in Boston, <laughs> um, yeah, disappointed. So close. So disappointed. <laughs> so disappointed. And I thought, but look at what I just experienced, you know, and, yes. um, they gave me an extra paycheck because I didn't miss one performance in a year and wow. over a year. So after dancing on a rake for a year, 
I, I was like, oh, what's this? Like, this is all your sick pay and your bonus for not missing a performance. I was like, how could I miss it? Even when I was sick, I was like, I went on because I couldn't, I couldn't miss anything. What was going to happen? You know, it's yeah. like, because it's live musical theater, so much stuff happens. And so. It's interesting, yeah. too, because when you're an artist, I think, like, when you're going through what you went through, being on the streets and all this stuff, it's like you you have all of this to bring into your work. Right. I mean, you've lived a real life. We right. talk about that a lot. Like, when you're studying acting, it's like, that can be the issue with people who are, like, you know, straight out of college and have you haven't experienced, really, anything yet. Right. You know? I have uh, working with Larry Fuller, you know, they would we'd be in the dressing room, you know, the chorus carrying on and kicking and, you know, whatever. But they would hear these stories coming out of my mouth of what I think is hysterical, being arrested in Catholic schoolgirl skirt, you know, all this stuff, all the what seemed like tragedy and finding it so humorous. And they're like, you need to write this stuff down. Yeah, because you're so on the other side of it. When right. humor comes in, the healing is happening. And yeah. so that's right. You know, so, um, so I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to hear a tall, you know, tired junkie hooker story. You know, nobody needs, <laughs> but it was something like, that no, got planted to, you know, to yes. do that. And so when I ended up eventually moving to New York, you know, I was like a little familiar, but it was a whole other, whole other journey. Right. Because I was 36. I was old. And my friends here in Los Angeles were like, you're too old to be doing this. I'm like, but I got to I got to go at least what see what it's about. Yeah. I don't want to be sitting in an AA meeting at 80 years old going, oh, I wish I had tried that. Oh, I don't have those things. That's you right. know, even when I mess up, you know, and fall down on the journey, I still at least I'm on the journey. That's and right. I think that's what's important. So Battle of the Tierras. Yes. You were saying. <laughs> So Battle for the Tiara was a fundraiser that was created. Battle of the Tiara. Uh, Alexis Pittman. Uh, it, it had a 10-year run. It started in someone's living room. And then the uh, next couple days, it got into bigger living rooms. And it was always the night of the Miss America pageant. And then it uh, went to the Richard Pryor Theater. But it was a fundraiser for people that were living with HIV and AIDS. Correct. And was the, that always the idea yes well it started the uh first time uh, somebody decided to throw money while one of the guys was doing their talent yeah so we're talking about drag right performers and so this was just really it was just about you know messy drag guys that look like guy i mean messy drag so it was a dress ill-fitted dress with a, a bad wig and you know people doing their own makeup and there was no polish it was just silly and joyful and each year it would just get bigger and bigger so that then it went from the Richard Pryor, uh, what's that theater over on Wilshire? I forget. The Bell. The Bell. And then um, we ended up selling out before we even went into advertising. So Alexis asked me uh, if I would uh, come be a part of it. Because this was just about calling in friends. We're doing the show at the Wilshire Bell. Come and be a, um, uh, you're a dancer. Maybe you could dance for your talent. And I was like, okay. So I came up with this whole character. A lot of slots, Miss Nevada. And um, it wasn't about winning or anything. It was just about working on this show with all these people. We all made our own costumes. We all helped each other out uh, with accessories or wigs or, or whatever. And so um, then the third year I competed, I won. I, had done, I was doing a hotel theme with... Um, like I was a Caesar's Palace Kino girl for bathing suit that revealed then a showgirl bride for 
interview and evening gown I spun out of a um, Flamingo Hotel uh, kind of like the front of the hotel and I would spin out into another gown and um, and for talent I sang live which was the first time somebody had sung live in the show because uh, they're like drag queens don't sing live I was like but I want to I just want to sing live and so I sang uh, Midnight at the Oasis and uh on a, uh, the largest white camel in the United States. And so it, a real uh, camel. A real camel. Wait, live no. animal. So, <laughs> so it was just about, you know, it was two standing ovations in two and a half minutes. It was just fun and silly. It was just show. We just, it was just show. And uh, we raised a lot of money. Um, I think our celebrity judges were Nell Carter and. Bob Mackey, oh you know, my God, it's awesome. so, and then every year the celebrity judges have evolved and Alexis at the time was very sick. And so the following year, my, my final walk, I ended up doing color commentating and the final walk. So I brought the camel back. We also had a live elephant that year and, um, we oh had my sold God, a zoo. It was, yeah, it was a zoo and she didn't win though. Cause the, the judges were like the elephants doing all the work. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so funny. He's upstaged yeah. by an elephant. Yes. So and it was. And then the next day, I went to New York. You know, it's like so. Lotta Slots was born. Yes. Yeah. And then, uh, and she's been a big part of your life. Very much so. Yeah. It, you know, it's. I just, mean, sometimes people just come up to you and say, "Hey, Lotta," instead of "Hey, Jeffrey." <laughs> Yes. I've been there. I've seen it. I was it. walking through it. the Louvre in uh, in Paris uh, with my boyfriend. And these two queens came up going, are you a lot of slots? Now I'm dressed as a boy, but I don't know. For some reason, I just, you know, they, and Michael was like, Jesus Christ, we can't go anywhere without people recognizing, you know, so. That's a long way from yes. like turning tricks on the street. It's, okay. That's to what's, yeah. At the Louvre in Paris. Yeah. With my boyfriend. Who recognizes this? Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's oh, wow. Amazing. So, you know, my journey has been, Lada's always been there. New York was the same thing. I went to, when I finally moved to New York at 36, uh, I got on the list to, uh, I auditioned for Miss Saigon, and I was just kind of on the list because uh, they needed a gymnast. And so, but I thought, I have to make this journey. So I broke up with the boyfriend after seven years. I was like, I just need to do this by myself to see if I could do it. So there was a man um, Larry Pellegrini, who uh, created a show called Tony and Tina's Wedding. And so he was writing a new show called Blessing in Disguise. He said, would you come and be, I hear that you do drag uh, through a friend of a friend of a friend. And I was like, okay, and uh, did the workshops and went through the whole process. And I had this little cute little, I played this drunken mess drag queen hydrangea. So um, <laughs> I did all these workshops for the show. Uh, and backers auditions one on Fifth Avenue in this big apartment, which was like would blow your mind. Right. Um, so they got the money and they were going to mount this production of Blessing in Disguise. And Jeffrey, would you be a part of it? And I had a terrific song, very bluesy, very sad. You know, it was that's, I was just channeling up everything. Everything. Uh, but the show, the song wasn't working. It wasn't working. And so um, uh, we kept doing these backer auditions and they're like, so the song went out. They cut the song and I was just devastated. I thought, oh, my God, they're going to fire me. 
I, oh my God, they're going to fire me. Because I was had been fired from a TV show. Oh, that's a whole other story. But anyway, so um, <laughs> I was still recovering from that and healing through that. And so they cut the song, the song's out. And they're like, oh, we're going to write you another one. We're going to write you another one. And so, but it never, it wasn't coming. And I was like, oh my God, they hate me. They hate me. But I just kept showing up. So all of a sudden I have a new song. I have a new song before the show goes into previews. And it's this, you know, disco medley fun, fun, you know, just really fun and silly. And I'm doing a lot of pratfalls, which I'm terrific at. Just having this great time uh, with all these New York actors. I was like, oh, this is, this is fun. No more, you know, the short boy on the end. I'm, I got lines, yeah, you know. Right. So we do this show. They're taking me around New York. I'm performing the song, the new song, or in different nightclubs and stuff. And uh, Greg Butler, Leroy Freeman, they would come with me. Those were my wingmen. And so, um, and I was having a great time. The show opens, and it's just panned. <laughs> oh, oh, now, no. my, now, mind you, you have to, they were doing it at the Times Square Theater, which was above a porno shop you had to walk through the porno shop on 8th avenue to get up to it and basically they took this space which used to be taxi dancing uh ballroom up there and they turned it into a theater so uh, there was uh i'm on 8th avenue like 47th street and so in my dressing room there's a small dressing little window maybe about two by three and um, we would hold our cigarettes out so we could smoke in the dressing room. We'd hold it. But you could see right down 47th Street to the lights of Broadway, a block away. And it was such a visual like, oh, how, now how do I get there? How do I get back there? And so, but here I am doing the show. And um, the New York Times reviews the show. They, and we just get panned, just panned, uh, except for myself, where I got this just love letter of a Valentine, just a paragraph, a short paragraph. And I didn't even know that it got reviewed. So uh, Greg Butler is like, girl, I've been on Broadway for 15 years. I have never been mentioned in the New York Times. And you've been here less than a year. And you have a paragraph. At 36. You know. Y'all told me yes, I was too old. Not know, to do it. Huh? Yeah. And so I'm being reviewed in the New York Times. Just a little, you know, not a rave. Not the, I'm not the second coming. But just an acknowledgement of what I brought to the show and acknowledge it that and the opening night Cheetah Rivera came into my dressing room because I was sharing it with a uh, Julio Augustin and she was like I saw those scratch marks on that stage I knew it was from you because I was doing all these pratfalls and sliding and dancing and stuff so she just noticed it and she just sat and talked I'm like oh my god it's Cheetah Rivera <laughs> Cheetah Rivera sitting in my dressing room here oh my god this what whose life is this yeah right. whose life is this full circle lucky lucky how long do you stay in new york i was there i kept an address an apartment for five years most of the time i was on the road so uh it was and then i would come back into town and i'd be hustling my four jobs i managed a a spa in midtown right across the street from the west side club that's a whole other story uh (laughs) A men's clothing store that these uh, New York dancers owned called Wear Me Out. I worked one night a week at the David Barton gym for a gym membership. And uh, I worked every Tuesday night at Splash. I did a nude aerial act above the dance floor. Or I simulated sex acts with dick dancers from like New Jersey. These (laughs) enormously talented Dominicans and Russian guys. I mean, and we would be simulating. Dick dancers. Dick dancers. (laughs) Yeah. 
because they would strap it on and no it, you have a mile of cock and <laughs> it was just all about simulating and they got paid really well i got paid you know i had friends who were like how could you be go-go da-? now here i am yeah. 36 37 how could you be doing it? my body was on point doing simulated sex x and how can you be doing this at this age and you know all of them poo-pooing and i was like i'm making 250 dollars for five minutes work yeah and i'm not having to turn tricks but I get to perform and I'm here at the splash having a good time meeting all these really nice people and reali- <laughs> really realizing really nice that people. all these bartenders that eventually would come in into recovery right. that they would see me sitting there. They're like, how can you do this and stay sober? I was like, because I have the willingness yeah. today. Yeah. You know, that's what this is about. So how do you start? You come back to L.A. Uh-huh, I came back to L.A. And how do you start hustling your four jobs at Splash with so, the dick dancers? How do you start <laughs> casting? So my friend Patrick Rush, he, I had done a, the now I've done the 25th anniversary tour of Evita. And with the hopes that it was supposed to go in, it did not go in. Again, they closed us in Boston. <sighs> but it was like a year and a half on the road. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Yeah. And so... Uh, Patrick's like, okay, the show's closed. Why don't you come back to L.A. and just hang out for the summer? He said, I need an assistant uh, on, on the show, The O.C. Someone answered the phones. That's all you have to do. I was like, great. I'll come and recharge my spirit. Because I was like, now I, I had been, I was 42, doing eight shows a week, which was no problem, you know. Uh, but I thought, oh, I'll go back because my spirit felt tired. So I came back here to Los Angeles. I started being the assistant at Patrick Rush Casting. And so uh, that was 14 years ago. Because <laughs> everybody was like, girl, you're too old to be out there. What do you want to do? And I had no idea. But the journey, it was like all of a sudden I was met with a journey that was an effortless, you know, oh, you're going to turn right here and this is what you're going to do. That's right. I didn't know. I always thought I was going back to New York. So... And then I loved casting. I loved the process. It's never the same day. It's always different, always different situations. And I felt that I could share with actors that the job for the actor is just to keep showing up. And in all these years, you know, I have observed that, you know, yes, uh, the best actor doesn't always get the job. But the job is there for everyone. And whether a producer or a network denies you that experience of being an actor, your job is just to keep showing up right. and sharing your gift, whatever it looks like. So you work, is it mostly television or you television. do everything, TV? Yeah. yeah. So I, when I started, we did a lot of network television. And now it's all about Hulu and Netflix. Right. And, and just getting involved with these, like these jobs that are just so... You know, having dinner with Dolly Parton is can blow your mind, can blow your mind when you're in a a callback for actors for one of her shows and you turn and there's Dolly Parton sitting in a chair. You're like, I mean, not like this is not like the sweats and a ball cap, you know, producer. This is Dolly Parton. And you go, oh, my God. How did I, how'd this junkie hooker get here? This is wild, you know? Yeah. So this whole time, you know, learning, I, I became an associate and uh, I really love what I do. I, I, I find it really fascinating. This and is, the personalities of all of it, yeah. you know? This is so amazing and God, such a learning situation for me as well, because you came into a lot of this one, when when you were supposed to, right? Because right. it's God's time, it's not our time. Right. 
but looking at it surfacely, you know, you came into all of this career stuff, you know, ra- rather late. You started dancing right. in your 20s all and then, it. you know, the Broadway and the touring in yeah. your 30s and now in your 40s. Again, you know, you've turned the corner and now you're, you know, doing this wonderful work that you do, casting. Right. How do you feel about all that? How, what does it make you feel like, do you feel like you were late to the party or do you I feel did, like you're right lot, on time? You know, because I, I moved to New York, I was 11 years sober. Um, the two people that I knew in New York were sober here, drunk by the time I moved to New York. So I really felt like I was on my own. But I it, again, it was just that thing. It's like, yes, uh, because of my drug addiction and alcoholism, my early childhood stuff and teenage years and early 20s, I felt behind the eight ball. So I was like, OK, because I didn't die of AIDS in those first 10, 11 years I had been diagnosed, I thought, oh, I better I better start reclaiming this life. Yeah. What do I want to do? Even if I were to die tomorrow, what would it? And it's like, oh, I always wanted to live in New York. I love New York. Love it, love it, love it. So then I moved to New York and I'm on the phone with my therapist all the time because I kept walking everywhere and I kept thinking I was surrounded by these white Indians. This is so cuckoo. This is this is cuckoo. So my first couple weeks in New York, I kept walking and usually because Broadway cuts diagonally across town, the island. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm having a nervous breakdown. I've just moved to New York, and now I'm seeing these white, these four white Indians following me everywhere. And I'm like, what is going on? So I called my therapist. I said, I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. I just moved to New York. <laughs> and she's like, well, what's going on? And I explained to her, I see these white Indians walking with me everywhere, and I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. And she's like, okay, let me call you right back. And she's like, what street are you on? I was like, mostly Broadway. And she's like, you realize that's the, the fur trade for the last 400 years. The Indians took Broadway. And she was just like, those Indians, those spirits you're seeing are there to let you know you're being watched after. You're going to be okay. So it was like, oh, and I just sat there on the street sobbing because I felt so alone in New York. I didn't know anybody. And I didn't know what it was supposed to look like. And, and again... When you're walking on Broadway and walking down in the 50s and 40s and all the theaters, it's like, I don't want to be, you know, I don't, I don't want to be 10th row center watching a show. I want to be up there. How do I get up there? You know, again, and so it's like showing up and auditioning, showing up auditioning. And I had some lousy auditions in New York. Lousy. Right. And now yeah. you're associate casting right. director. And of, so of those wonderful... people that come to New York. You know, actor friends of mine, they're like, how does this all happen? I'm right. Like, you do this, you do this, you know, you just keep showing up. Well, I don't have an agent. That's okay. It shouldn't stop you from reading. Uh, there's enough classes around town that bring in casting associates and casting directors that you can read for casting in these classes. That's the business part of it. So you're trying to establish connections and, and you show up, you know. You hear that, folks? That's it. Showing up. You just show up. You just keep showing up. That's the only thing that you can message. control. Yeah. You know, because they can deny you the job. They can deny you the audition. But they can't take away that passion for, for just wanting to be a performer, whatever it is. You know, I was so grateful that I at least had fantasy 
to keep me going. Even through the traumas, early traumas of my life, it, there was always something. I was, you know, yes, I was late to the party. Yes, I wish I had been in dance class as a little kid. And yes, I wish I had never gotten involved with crystal meth. Yes, I wish I had never gotten with turning tricks. All that distraction and damage that I created through my own self-will but it made me the person I am today that to, to, to really, really appreciate the moments. Because there's a whole, all those states and counties that you fly over when you're on the plane from L.A. to New York, New York. All those people that just think about it when it's the people in New York and Los Angeles and making things happen, that half of a half of a 1% right. that are just trying to make it happen, you know kicking it around this town that's right you know we it's that thing of just showing up because you never know what it's going to look like i became an actor off broadway that is a fucked up sentence i mean to think who am i you know some junkie hooker you know to be reviewed in the new york times just for a season just a small paragraph but what are the odds about that it's fantastic why because i just kept showing up and trying to let go of what it's supposed to look like. Right. Yes. So because I have community today, I'm being of service to my community first and foremost. Everything else falls into place. So you've worked with a, you know, a number of industry greats at this point point in your life. Yes. Uh, you know, Dolly Parton, one of them, but you've also worked a lot with Kathy Griffin. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she is now, an, uh, you know, another bestie of yours. Right. How did that relationship flourish? It started because of Battle for the Tiara. Oh, yeah. And so this is 20 years ago. And so she was a judge. She, When she was just getting into the comedy, she would open up Battle for the Tiara for the show. And it was that's how we all became friends, through Patrick, you know. And then we were known as the Sober Gays. And then we were doing uh, My Life on the D-List. I think we did six or seven episodes. We were just... Showing up, we also became friends with Maggie, her mother, and uh, we're just hanging out with her and watching Kathy's career as an actress in sitcoms to comedy specials to My Life on the D-List, which was, you know, new to that whole reality television and watching the whole process. But here's this very, very intelligent woman. I mean, really smart. And with a wicked sense of humor. So uh, she's just been, she's been there for us. And we've, after the whole Trump thing happened, that night after the uh, FBI and Secret Service had gone through the house, the Sobers were summoned to her house. And so we were all at the house while she's like going, oh my fucking God, what have I done? This is what's going on. And we were there. We were there late at night, you know, just trying to talk her down and so because she was afraid she thought it was all over and here she is sitting in this 10 million dollar house and her career's over and people wouldn't hire her so cut to eight months later she's been hiding out in the house all of her tour has been canceled jobs have been canceled and stuff i was like girl come in come and open best in drag show come on just show up this is the community go back go back you know so it was this ping pong okay i'm coming no i'm not coming i can't do this yes i'll be there you know so it was a lot of just trying to get her to the theater and she her first appearance after the notorious trump photo with the ketchup that uh it was at best in drag show 
Wow. And the Queens just went crazy, crazy. for her just for showing up. Yeah. She had lost her sister. I mean, it was, it was, here was this fragile little bird and you could see her feel having her spirit rejuvenated by all these people just yeah. loving her, just yeah. loving her. And, you know, all she had to do was show up. And then she did 10 minutes of just this craziness and uh, brought the humor back. So, you know, I love being a part of that and watching her. So, yeah, so we've been friends. It, it's just, it's Kathy. It's, you know, just a smart, smart, smart woman and uh, really appreciates the sober gaze a lot, you know. So, yes. You've had a really wonderful and, uh, God, learned life. I don't know if learned <laughs> is the right word, but, you know, learning from your experiences throughout this journey. I've, I don't think I've ever met anybody like you. I'm so proud to know you, Jeffrey. Thanks. And Liz. I remember, oh God, I remember, well, we did a gig together that I don't remember. <laughs> That's because, how, in Anaheim. How Anaheim. In Anaheim. That I remember the gig. I don't remember Jeffrey because okay. I was so in my, you know, self. Was this, were you a drag? No. No, no. It was no. It was in Anaheim at the Hilt was it the Hilton? Some show. With but, that crook producer. It took us forever to get paid. Maybe it was like a hundred bucks, but we were grateful for the money. And it took forever <laughs> to get this money from this we were like uh photographers in a fashion show and we danced and um yeah. Lewis wasn't having it at all. <laughs> at all. Uh, she was a Madonna dancer. And now she's playing Anaheim. Now I got to be over here trying to get my money. Yeah. So. <laughs> but I appreciate you. And after a while, I hadn't seen you in a while. And then I saw you at the gym Check. one day. Yeah. And I was just like, I need to be involved in this guy's life again. Because he had a light that uh shone that shined bright and i was really attracted to it so right. i really 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 appreciate you coming to talk to me and kim today oh thank you for having and me yeah. share... does it make sense oh yeah okay oh my yeah, god okay. and to share great. your story with us and i've been and enjoying to... listening to these oh yeah yeah have you been listening yeah. honestly yes <laughs> yes, 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 yes the last one was Let's see. I did Lewis, uh, or not Lewis, uh, Anil and uh, Nikki. Those were, so I have more to go get oh, through. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, those were good ones. Yeah, just yeah. lovely. Yeah, yeah. And now, and now yours. Yeah, that's and right. congratulations on doing this. Oh, you two. thank you, thank Jeffrey. you. Really fabulous. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. a yeah. great ride. It's been a great ride. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Now, don't forget, you can listen to us on Apple iTunes or wherever you hear your podcasts. And you can uh, subscribe, yes. rate, and review. <laughs> yes, you can. And also, if people want to take class with you, Jeffrey, how should they? Should they follow you? Yeah, should follow they? me on Instagram. Okay. Instagram. Yeah, yeah. What's your Instagram? Jeffrey Lada Drew. There you go. Yeah. Also, don't forget, I teach a monthly Vogue workshop that I would love to see you guys at with so, the legendary with the legendary I, well, I, don't, I don't know what legendary but <laughs> anyway <laughs> with me come and Vogue and have a good time workdanceclass.com that's W-E-R-Q-U-E danceclass.com alright my guys see you later 